welcome to Your Best Riding Life, an extension of the Blue Ridge Mountains Christian Riders Conference held in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. I'm your host, Linda Goldfarb. Each week, I bring you tips and strategies from experts in the writing and publishing industry to help you excel in your craft. I am so glad you're listening in today because we're sharing writing from the beginning. Oh, you're going to love it. My industry expert is Peggy Sue Wells. Eminently quotable, Peggy Sue Wells is a tonic, warm like your favorite blanket, bracing like a stiff drink. History buff and tropical island votary, Peggy Sue parasails, skydives, scuba dives, and has taken, you know, but not past, pilot training. The best-selling author of 30 books, including the What to Do series, The Slave Across the Street, Bonding with Your Child Through Boundaries, Homeless for the Holidays, Chasing Sunrise, and The 10 Best Decisions a Single Mom Can Make. Peggy Sue's most challenging and rewarding adventure was solo parenting seven children. She is the founder of SingleMomCircle.com. Good to have you here with us, Peggy Sue. I always enjoy time with you, Linda, and being able to talk shop is the best. Yay, I love it. All right, we're going to take just a moment. This is the first time we've had you on, so I like to do that inside the life of our expert moment. So share something with us that's not found on your bio. One of my most outstanding memories, and I I do a lot of adventurous things, but it was being caught in an outhouse in the middle of one of the largest earthquakes that had happened, and that's pretty scary. Oh my goodness! That what state was that in? A state <laughs> of confusion, the, I'm guessing. But other than that, <laughs> kind of more of the state of panic. <laughs> so yes, um, yeah. <laughs> Um, wow. I, was, I was a kid and we, um, we were down at Salton Sea, which in the day was a, a, a great place to go visit. It's not that way now, but it's right um, on the border of California and Mexico. And Mexico had this giant earthquake. And of course, that, you know, was felt up where we were, too. And yeah, of all the things, I happened to be that person that was in the outhouse when it hit. Oh, I will tell you, that is an experience that you won't soon forget evidently and there's there's things in life i mean if without that kind of experience really what do you have to write about so i'm sure it gave you something and you've used this possibly in your writing at least it's an experience that we can chuckle at and learn from and writing, it was fun for you to share it with me though writing is always about having experiences um i remember speaking at a conference one time and there was a room full of people and i said how many have gone skydiving how many have you know flown an airplane how many have traveled the world how many have been outside the nation into a different country and how many have done you know parasailings and nobody raised their hand and i <laughs> finally said, well, what do you guys have to write about? Because we need experience in order to be able to put those things into our books, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. Oh, that's good. What do you guys write about? You need adventure. Come on. I love this topic and I love the practicality of it because you truly are starting at the very beginning of our writing journey. And as we know, it's a very good place to start. So what are the first decisions a writer makes when beginning a project? 
When we are starting a project, writers make three very important decisions, and that is what, who, and why. And so the first one is what. In other words, what is your idea? What's the project that you want to work on? Are you wanting to teach people the books of the Bible or create a rip-roaring high seas adventure? It's what is the project? What's the idea that you want to bring into concrete? Then the next decision is who. Who is the audience? Because if I'm going to write to female rodeo writers, I'm going to have a different vocabulary, a different word count, a different style, a different format than if I'm writing four to six graders and telling them about the first ladies of the United States. So we have to know who, because who is going to definitely make a difference as to that level of vocabulary. Am I talking to someone who's college educated or am I talking to somebody who is in kindergarten? Am I talking to somebody who has particular language because they're in a particular, you know, a particular lifestyle that's going to be different than somebody who is not a female golfer. They're going to have different language than, than I would. So it's who is the audience so that then we can move forward. For instance, when I wrote Slavery in the Land of the Free, that is a handbook for middle and high school grades and for those that work with them. The vocabulary then was how would I speak to a middle schooler? How do I speak to a high schooler? And then how do I prepare information that those that work with that age group can readily share that and have you know conversations with them? So that's going to be very different than if I were doing a picture book for a preschooler. And then 10 Best Decisions, when I wrote that one, the 10 Best Decisions a Single Mom Can Make, that was targeted for moms who are newly single or about to become single. And so I targeted those 15 million moms, that one in every four households, who are raising the children and 50% of our kids are going to wind up in a single parent home. So that was the target audience. And so I used their language and their vocabulary. So then the last one is going to be why. Every project has to have take-home value for the reader. So think about it. If you go to the bookstore, if you're cruising the Amazon book catalog, if you're at the library you look at a book based on what does this book have for me? What am I going to get from reading this book? And so what are you going to give your reader? This is really important. Am I going to entertain my reader? Clive Cussler wrote these great adventure stories and they were all about entertaining the reader. That is a great take-home value. Is it going to teach something? Is this an analysis? Is the project a report? Are you giving an opinion? Are you providing hope and help? Or are you providing humor? And anytime you can rope humor in through something that you're writing, it'll make even some of the hardest points easier to digest for your reader. But definitely know what is the take-home value that you're giving your reader so that the reader says, this is worth exchanging my time and possibly my money for that I'm going to spend time with this book by this author. And so once you know those, then you're ready to get started. All right. We have the message, the what. We have the audience, the who. And I like how you're saying to speak their language. And we have the why, which is the take-home value that we plan to deliver through our project. So what's next? The next thing is going to be, what is the best format to tell the story? What is the best vehicle to deliver the message that we want to give? 
So is this message that you want to give really better done as an article? Is it best as a blog? Would this be able to be put into digestible pieces for a curriculum? Would it be an app? Apps are really popular right now. Everybody's using them. Is this actually a children's picture book? I had uh, one bit of information. Actually, it was teaching people about the books of the Bible. What were the key um, messages taken away? Who wrote them? When were they written? What were the books you know, before and after them? That actually worked out best as a game. And so I put that into the format of a game. I had another book. It was the sequel to uh, What to Do When You Don't Know What to Say. And when I was putting the sequel together, I realized the sequel actually was better delivered as greeting cards, a line of greeting cards. And then I had a proposal that I took to a lot of different conferences, kept showing it to editors, showing it to agents, and it just wasn't being picked up. And I couldn't figure out why. And finally, I had an agent say to me, Peggy Sue, this story has got so much thunder and flames and nitro smell in the air this is not a book. This is a screenplay. This should be done on film. We should be able to see this and experience it. So that particular message was better as a screenplay. And so a lot of times you can take a story too, if you're doing a nonfiction, maybe use it as a short story in chicken soup, take it out for a test drive, see how it fares and if the audience likes it, and then you can always expand it. And so we're going to talk about Let's say we've looked at our message and the message has come down to that it's going to be a fiction or a nonfiction book. And we're going to do that sort of a project. So even in that, even deciding this is going to be a book, it's going to be a story. Then we go and we start going down that funnel a little bit thinner to say what kind of fiction, because within the fiction category, you can choose anything that ranges from microfiction all the way up to a full-blown novel. And that makes a huge difference all based on the, the word count. Let me give you an example of what kind of choices you can make there. To begin with, you can do microfiction. And that is literally a story told in five to 350 words. So five words such as baby shoes for sale, comma, never worn. That's a microfiction. Then you can go to flash fiction, which goes 500 to 1,000 words, up to short stories, which are about 3,500 words. So your traditional short story, if you want to tell a short story, is going to be 1,500 to 5,000 words. Does your message fit in a short story format? Well, what if it's longer than that? So then if you're going to go into the novels, you have a wide range of choices within novels too. A traditional full-length novel is 90,000 words. If you're writing science fiction and fantasy length, those readers can't get enough and you can write up to 120,000 words. A novel is going to be 40,000 words or more. If you write for NaNoWriMo, which is when everybody says we're going to write a novel in a month in November, they consider 50,000 words to be a novel. So that would be your word count target there. Novellas are going to be 17,500 up to 39,000 words. And then what if you're doing a compilation? You've seen those books where there's like six, seven, eight authors, and they've all done a story. And so it's a compilation of, let's say, stories about Christmas or stories about romance on the Wild West. Those are going to be 12,000 words a piece. And if you're doing a novelette, you're going to do 7,500 words to 17,000. 
And then again, your short stories are going to be under 7,500 words. So that's a lot of numbers in order to say, where does my story fit? Where does my message get served best? And so it's nice to know what it's called, because that way you know where to position it and you know how to formulate that story so that it fits within one of these genres so that you actually have a place where it fits on the bookshelf because we know where it belongs. Oh, this is good. If I know where it belongs, I can actually even go and take a look at some of the ones that are out there to kickstart my juices, I think. This is great. Word count is very important. Mm -hmm. I like that you shared that with us. All right, so now we're ready to sit down at the computer. So we're sitting down at the computer because we've got all of this other figured out, the what, the who, the why, this is the where, kind of, you know, what format we're using. What about creating that professional manuscript? What do we have to do as a writer to make sure that we have all the details taken care of? And this is a really important aspect because there are industry standards. If you are going to write and be involved in the publishing industry, you need to speak their language. And like any other any other industry that's out there, there are things that you do and things that you don't do. And so if you do the do's, then you look like a professional. If you don't know what the do's are, then you look like you're a beginner and we don't want to look that way. So here's the things that your manuscript needs to have. So you open up a file on your computer and you're going to use Microsoft Word. That is the universal back and forth language that we use. When I send something to my editor or to my agent or to another writer to check it over or for a co-writer to add something to, we all speak in Microsoft Word. So you can write it in another format if you want, but it always has to come back to being in Microsoft Word when somebody else looks at it. Then use 12 point times Roman. None of those other cute little ones. If you're doing a romance, we don't want to see it in italics. If it looks pretty to you doing in script to do a romance, fine. But before you show it to anybody, it all has to go into 12 point times Roman. Terry Whalen and I have laughed about the fact that we are so old and we have done this for so long that I read in times Roman. And so if somebody sends me a manuscript and says, hey, will you take a look at this? I will, if it's not in Times Roman, the first thing I do is change it into Times Roman so that I can properly read it because that's just how my eyes go. Unless you're writing a screenplay. If you're writing a screenplay, that one needs to be in Courier. So make sure that you've got the right font for that particular uh, format that you're writing in. Then you're going to do one inch margins all around. You're going to put your title in the header on the left-hand side. So this is a title of your project. And a lot of times our titles initially are a working title because we haven't locked into what the title is. Put your working title in the header on the left side. Then your author name needs to be in the header on the right side. For instance, when I did one of my books, I would have Bonding with Your Child for Boundaries, and that would be on the left side in the header, and then my name, Peggy Sue Wells, would be on the right side inside the header. Then go down to the footer and put your page numbers there and that they need to be centered. Double space all the text that you're writing that is in your manuscript. Your story is double spaced. And then you're gonna put one space after periods. My generation, we were taught in typing class that you hit period and then two spaces. That you're only going to have one space. And if you are still 
doing that with your thumbs that you still hit two spaces automatically. When you're done with your manuscript, just highlight the whole thing, go to find and replace and put for find two spaces and for replace, put one space and tighten that up. And then punctuation always goes inside the quote marks. I can't tell you how often people get tangled up with this. But if you are doing quotes, like you're doing dialogue, if you have a question mark, that has to go inside those quote marks. And so if you can provide that type of a clean manuscript to your editor, to your agent that you're hoping will work with you, that's going to be speaking a universal language that everybody in the publishing industry speaks. And so they will know how to read your work. So let's touch just on a moment when you mentioned headers and footers. Because someone who's relatively new to using Word, and I've seen the manuscripts come through with uh, some of the clients that I work with, and they have the title, but it's down in the body of mm -hmm. the Word document. So can you explain headers and footers for just a moment? In the Microsoft, because I've done it so automatically for so long, but I'm pretty sure that if you go, yep, I found it. If you go uh, to insert, that little tab up at the top next to home will say insert. And under the insert drop down, there's going to be headers and footers. And so you'll click on that and it will put the header in for you. It'll put the footer in for you. So make sure you know how to find those. And of course, if you don't know how to find them, you can always Google it. But that's where you're going to be able to put your title and your name and your page numbers. They will not be inside the body. What you were talking about a minute ago where these, the formatting becomes pretty automatic for us. And so I will often coach new writers. And I've been coaching a sweet little gal lately who's got a great story going. But yeah, I, we find these little formatting things. And as we're looking at them and I'm telling her how to fix it and how to put that header and footer in. And I just have to go back in my mind to those early years where it was so frustrating to get that format just right and to figure out where all those little things are. But it's like anything else, you practice at it and pretty soon it becomes really natural. And so now I can spot where there's something wrong with the manuscript, where there's space where there shouldn't be, that there are just some weird things that show up in our formatting. But once you're used to using Microsoft Word, you'll get it all figured out. So stick with it. It's worth it. And it'll look nice. Very good. Very good. I like that we have a little bit of clarity there on that. Now, what are the essentials every story must have? Every story has to have three things. This is what makes a good story. It has a character that we care about. You can put characters in there, but somehow you've got to work with them so that we care about them enough to follow through to see what's going to happen to them. And uh, the next thing is that that character has to have a very great need, a huge need, something that they have to have, or the world will come to an end, or they're going to lose important people in their life, or a country will fall. It can't be, oh, if we don't do this right, I might miss my spelling test. No, it has to be giant and huge. So think of the stories that you know that have stuck with you, and then know that there's, what is that great need that your character is after? And then the third thing is that in between your character that we care about and that huge need that they have to have, there has to be this monumental obstacle, something that is blocking the character from getting the need that they need to have. And that are the, the, that's the three things that make a story 
those ones that are riveting and compelling and page turning because we take our character and we put them in a very, very hard situation. And then we watch them work through what they need to do in order to be able to get that great thing that they need. So for instance, when you're talking about um, like the Avengers that have gone on lately, we've been seeing a lot of those films. We have the Avengers, they each have this huge need of saving the world from alien invaders and what have you. But then each of them personally also has something. Some of them have daddy issues. Some of them have, you know, like Captain America, a man out of time, and he misses, you know, his, his one chance at true love. So they have these great needs, and then they have these obstacles in between that keep them from getting to those. So those are the three essentials that you have to have for every excellent story. And I like this, and I think you call this the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. That this is the hero's through. journey, exactly. Yeah, this is very good. All right. So, how do the three essentials for every story then? How do they translate into nonfiction writing? I love this because so many times people are surprised by this, but these are the exact same three essentials that you need in nonfiction. The same ones that are in fiction, you have to have in nonfiction. And here's how that works. When you're writing a nonfiction book, the character that we care about is the reader. It's the reader. We care about our reader and where they are and where they need to go. And the great need is the topic that the writer addresses in the book. And then the content is the companion that brings the reader along to their hero's journey to the place where they long to be. So let's get an example. So for instance, in the 10 best decisions a single mom can make, the character that we care about, Linda, is who? It's got to be that single mom. It's the single mom and her child. Absolutely. And then her great need is that she wants to be a successful family. It's the same need that every parent has. We want to be successful. But the obstacle that stands between that solo mom and her goal are the ongoing challenges of her circumstances as a solo parent. And so the information in the 10 best decisions a single mom can make is literally her path. It is that we help her along her hero's journey so that she is at the beginning of the book struggling. I don't know how to make these decisions. I don't know how to get where I need to be. And so the book comes along and says, we understand that you are the hero of this story. We know where you want to get to be. And so we're going to walk you through as you go through these pages and go through these chapters. At the end, you're going to be where you want to be. You will have created and then you will have accomplished that hero's journey. So that's how the nonfiction works as well. You must remember who is the most important character, which is going to be a reader, and what that reader, the big obstacle is, what is blocking them from getting where they need to be. And then you provide in that nonfiction, you provide the path that is going to get your hero to their destination. I love that visual, Peggy Sue, and it is visual for me because when we're talking nonfiction or we're talking in our writing and we say, you need to create the avatar, it needs to be this individual, it needs to be this person, you're bringing them deeper into the storyline of the nonfiction as we incorporate their needs and what they're feeling and helping them to identify with who it is that we're writing to, 
I think they feel embraced. They feel like you get me. That's, I think that's a term that we can use generously if we are writing correctly in our nonfiction. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And that's where it comes down to going back to the, the who, what, and why. It's what is the message? Who does it need to go to? And what is the take-home value that I'm going to give to that reader? So again, that reader is willing to exchange their time and their money to spend on this book that we, the writer, have prepared for them. You have made this so succinct. This has been great. So I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. Peggy Sue Wells, what brings you joy? <laughs> okay, so joy. Um, uh, okay, the first, the first two will be the obvious that probably everybody says. First, really knowing God loves me is is a huge, a huge joy, and then being with dear friends and family, and that's always also good material for writing. But the, the other thing that brings me joy. People say when you get that time to do whatever you want and that flow happens, so you're not even aware of time passing. For me, that's actually writing fiction. Uh, and writing fiction is that we make stuff up, but the stuff that we make up has to make sense. And so invariably, as I'm creating these worlds and putting these people into them and their challenges and their obstacles, I will write myself into a tough situation. And then I have to make it work. And that can be really difficult because it has to work. It has to make sense. Your reader has to be able to go along with you. And so it's much like putting a puzzle together without having the picture on the box to follow. And it's mm -hmm. a sweet challenge, but I love doing it. So even on my days off, if I have nothing to do that, you know, and I can carve out time for myself, it'll be sitting with my laptop with who I call La uh, Macbeth and then putting together <laughs> these fiction stories. <laughs> I love that. Macbeth. Beth, so Macbeth. good, so good. This and is Macbeth, good. Macbeth gets to go with me everywhere I go. So on all of my adventures, like even trailering my daughter who rides rodeo across the nation so that she can barrel race, sitting in the stands while my other daughter plays soccer, it's any of it, my, la my laptop goes with me. And, you know, in between I can write anything. And then while we're in that idea of this is a new place, it's taking in the new senses and what does this place look like and what are the smells and what are the flavors and what do people do and why are they doing it? And then it all becomes part of our stories. Nice. It's always part of our stories, folks. We'll tell you that right now. You hang around a writer, you're going to be in something that they write. It just works that way. <laughs> so as we wrap up, what are you going to be making available for our listeners today? I'm going to give a PDF of word counts for the different writing genres. So I went through that list really pretty fast of everything from what's microfiction up to science fiction. And, you know, Westerns have a whole different word count than uh, contemporary fiction. And so I've got that for you. What I would encourage writers to do is just write your story and don't worry about word count. Once the story is done and you're going to go back and polish and edit, then start looking at the word count. Do you add or do you need to take away? But first you have to get the story down. But then you'll have this guide that you can look at and say, where does this story fit? Or I already know that it's a romance, so how many words does it need to have? And then you can find that on my website at PeggySueWells.com. And there's also a download there, 20 Ways to Unstick a Stuck Wordsmith, because People say we need the muse, but 
Um, there's no such thing as writer's block. There's just days that we write better than others, but sometimes we get stuck trying to make it work. So there's 20 ways here to keep you moving when you feel like you've hit a, hit a wall. And we'll make sure that we have those links available in the show notes. So you'll be able to download these wonderful gifts from Peggy Sue. And you'll also be able to find out more about Peggy Sue. We'll have a link to her website and, of course, the singlemomcircle.com website. Peggy Sue, you feed into the lives of so many people from your experience. And that truly is how God wants us to walk out our life, is as he has fed into us, we in turn turn around and feed into those that have a need that we can meet. And I just greatly, greatly appreciate you being on here with us today. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Good to spend time with you, Linda. It's always good to spend time with you, Peggy Sue. Ooh, that almost sounded like a song. Anyway, we won't go there. (laughs) So thank you, Peggy Sue, and thank you, friends, for joining us. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review. Because what you have to say matters as much as what you have to write. This is Linda Goldfarb, and I look forward to being here with you next time on Your Best Writing Life.